space. <laughs> this is Pulp from Beyond the Veil. Hello and welcome to Pulp from Beyond the Veil. My name is Cody Sullivan and thank you for being with us. In this episode, we have two new stories for you. The first new and true two stories of 2022. As our little program yawns itself awake after the long winter break, we hope you'll continue joining us as we move ever forward into the strange and unknown. If you are enjoying our program, please do us the courtesy of leaving a rating on whichever service you use, subscribe, and be sure to mention your favorite stories to your friends, co-workers, kin and countrymen, doctor, lawyer, postman, and barber. We deeply appreciate it, and it continues to help us grow. Now with that out of the way, this is Pulp. Let's begin. Our first story, written by C.A. Sullivan, begins on a recognizable planet under unrecognizable conditions. Perhaps, obviously, that planet is Earth, though not as we have ever known it. The magnetosphere that shields our planet from the most harmful effects of solar radiation and assisted by our thick atmosphere allows for the existence of complex life forms to propagate and evolve. Should anything happen to one or the other, the results would be cataclysmic as we watch our home become inhospitable before our very eyes. In the future, humanity may have developed the technology to flee the dying planet and continue a rough existence under new horizons. However well or quickly we might adapt to our new environment, one thing remains certain for these planetary refugees. Nothing else quite feels like home. This story's called One for the Road. Everyone told me it was pointless to come back. The planet was picked clean, at least that's what they told us. But that didn't stop the two biggest salvage corps from sending one last deployment to make sure. This wasn't my first time being here on terra firma. I looted and scrapped as best as I could on the last three deployments for anything that could be considered useful or valuable to Cloud City. I found next to nothing the first expedition, and each subsequent time found even less. They used to call this place the City of Angels a thousand years ago. Some not-so-clever scrapper renamed this town the City of Ghosts, and the name stuck. If there were any ghosts here, they were long gone by now, either burned off by a toxic sunbeam, or otherwise called home to a sort of afterlife we used to believe in called Heaven. There used to be an opposite of heaven called hell, but that stopped being a fantasy as soon as the majority of the atmosphere and ozone layer was wicked away by the solar storms in 2038. 
It's hard to imagine what this place looked like back then. I bet it was beautiful. I guess they used to shoot video in this city. Real video of people outside. Sunlight on their faces with big blue skies behind them. Not like the videos they make back in Cloud City, no. A lot of the old videos never tried to sell you a thing. They were meant to make you feel something. Something other than wanting. Some could make you laugh, and others could make you cry. But I don't know why they made them. They just know they're gone now. Gone with the ghosts of a dead planet. Normally I would have headed back to the ship by now. It wasn't safe to be on the surface after dark when the temperatures dropped to a hundred degrees below freezing. Something caught my eye before I turned back. As I was sifting through the wreckage of an old wooden structure, I found a strange metal door on the ground caked in dirt. It seemed to be, to my surprise, completely untouched. Opening this door revealed a set of stairs that descended into impenetrable darkness. For the first time in... Well, I'm not sure how long. I felt something stirring within me. Excitement. Looking down into that darkness made me feel uneasy, and yet... I was drawn to it. I flicked on my helmet lights and began to descend. When I reached the bottom, I turned to see a large room lined with shelves with canned food and water. Most of the cans had burst centuries ago, leaving behind little piles of detritus on the shelves and floor. This place was truly untouched. For there were other things, too. Strange-looking devices with simple antennas, handheld lights, even early batteries. Incredible stuff. The room was plunged into darkness behind me with only the search beams of my helmet light illuminating this... this crypt. As I continued to turn my head, I spotted a sight for sore eyes under other circumstances. A long, wooden counter, and behind it, covered in dust, were about two dozen or so of what I could only assume to be ancient liquor, sealed with red wax tops. My mouth began to flood at the thought of a drink. A luxury in Cloud City, and an expensive one at that. I've personally never had my own bottle before, and here in this ancient chamber was a veritable treasure trove of intoxicants. I pulled one of the wax bottles down to inspect it. The label was a faded yellow, the color of sun-bleached straw. It read, Appalachian River, Kentucky Bourbon. And on the side, there was a warning from someone called the Surgeon General. The amber libation swirled around the bottle while I inspected it. There was no way this stuff could still be good after this time, right? Still, 
The liquid amber left velvety swirls that clung to the side of the bottle as I turned it, and my mouth continued to water. I poured the drink to the very top of the shot glass I found beneath the bar and lowered my head to inspect it. The beams of light from my helmet refracted through the glass, seeming to give it an uncanny glow. It felt alien and strange as I gazed at it through my visor. One drink poured a millennia after the ghosts had distilled it here in this basement crypt untouched by time. I've had something called whiskey once in my life. The head of an old expedition treated us to a night at the Cirrus Bar in Cloud City after a particularly profitable exhumation of an island in the Pacific. Bits of ancient computers, tech, gold, and rare earth elements were among the stuff we hauled from the dig. He toasted our crew with a shot of clear house whiskey that the Cirrus distilled themselves. There were at least 50 of us, and that one toast probably cost him what I scraped together in a year. We all coughed after the shot, some wretched, and I remember it felt like swallowing liquid fire that scorched the throat and settled warmly in the stomach. I've never heard of bourbon. Was it sweet? What qualities did the golden color suggest? Caramel? Just then, I heard the door to the chamber open. I ducked down below the bar and pressed my back against it. As far as I knew, my group was the only scrapping corp in the area, but I was sure everyone else had headed back already before nightfall. It was not unheard of for discoveries such as this to provoke violence among rival corps. We were meant to secure our excavations no matter the cost. Still, my outfit wasn't prepared for such an interaction. This area should have been picked clean by now with hardly any scraps worth fighting over. I turned my lights off and was plunged into darkness for a few moments. I could see the beams of a light begin rounding the corner of the stairs and shining against the wall behind the bar. It was one set of footfalls, of that I was sure. They stopped on the other side of the bar. <laughs> no use in hiding. You tracked ash in your boot prints. But since you're back there, care to pour me a drink, bartender? Well, guess I should have wiped my feet at the door. I stepped out from hiding with my hands raised half-heartedly. Her suit was yellow with red accents caked in dirt and dust. She was with Packer Corp. Could have been a lot worse if it was, say, Maximal Company that had found me instead. They tend to shoot first and bury the competition later. Yeah, yeah. Less banter. More pouring, Mr. Bartender. And you can put your hands down. I'm unarmed.
We both sat hunched over our glasses, examining the liquid from all angles. Two shots of gold poured straight to the rim. The stools protested loudly under our weight, having long forgotten their purpose. In front of us, through the lights of our helmets, everything was illuminated, and behind us, there was only plutonian darkness. I'll be damned. Never had liquor before. Back alley hooch and musty ale on occasion, but never... What did you say this was again? Kentucky bourbon. Whiskey, I believe. Whiskey. Wow. And after all this time... <laughs> what? It's nothing. I, I was just thinking that you might be the most interesting stranger I've ever struck up a conversation with at the bar. Oh, please. <laughs> Don't patronize me or anything. Most interesting bar you've been to? Yes. But it's nothing interesting about me. I can promise you that. Just another scrapper who's tried to pull together enough credits to... God, who the hell knows? Rent out a higher condo in the cloud? How long you been scrapping? Since I was 15. Had to bribe my way into my first outfit. I just... wanted to see it. Everything. Where we came from... Uh, my parents told me I'd find nothing but ghosts down here, but the way I see it, it's better to be with the ghosts down here where we belong than, you know, the ghosts walking around up there. Strong position from someone who's never seen the sun rise on green grass and blue skies down here. What makes you so attached to this hellhole? I don't know. It just feels like we missed out on something special. Something real and natural. This place was made for us. Or maybe we were made for it, but whatever it is, we're not meant for life in Cloud City. You hear about the accidents all the time. A recycler goes down in one of the lower atmost ghettos and 200 people choke to death in their sleep. Or... Some mechanic doesn't do a good enough job tightening the bolts on the transverse platform, so one side gives way and a dozen people fall to their deaths as their bodies buckle under the pressure. Not like here. Not like how it used to be. Things grew here, thrived. Other living beings besides humans covered this whole planet. They walked the land, flew through the air, swam in the rivers. We weren't alone. There was life here, and it just existed as natural as breathing. Easy as a heartbeat. My, uh, my parents and little brother were in one of those lower atmos ghettos. It's, it's been two years. Since they've been gone. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. No, it's, it's okay, really. I don't know, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not planning on... Oh. The silence hung on the non-existent air. I watched her fingers tapping along the side of the shot glass. 
One strong tap, and the liquid was liberated. It dribbled down the side and made a small pool on the dusty bar. I stared at it. You should probably get going. Grab some of the stuff and bring it back. You'll make a killing. I once knew a woman who- How about her drinks? She looked down at her glass. What about them? Don't you know? It's bad luck to leave a full drink on the bar. I gripped the shot glass and lifted it up. The bourbon sloshed over the side and dripped like tears off the bottom of the glass. (laughs) You're not serious. Of course I'm serious. Come on, what's one more for the road? (sighs) Yeah. One more for the road. She lifted her glass level with mine and turned to face me. I never asked you what your name was. Me neither. So, what should we drink to? Our glasses were nearly touching. Her other hand hovered over the visor release lever just above her left ear. Mine was beneath my chin, and I found it there. Let's drink to Kentucky, to whomever built this place, and to new places. And Earth. Our loved ones. And to old beginnings. However, we have a brand new sponsor for this week's episode that will be sure to get you feeling right as rain after that story. How's it going, everyone? Cody Sullivan here, and really, though, how's it going? Look, I'll level with you. Things haven't been so great these last couple years, have they? Disease, war, and political turmoil are just about all you see these days when you look at your phone or, God forbid, open up a newspaper. Thankfully, these days, it's easier than ever to connect with a licensed therapist in the comfort of your own home using your phone, tablet, or computer. Just an hour a week is all it takes to make serious improvements to your mental health. But before you roll your eyes and scoff and say, I'm fine, I don't need any help at all, thank you very much, I have news for you. You don't need any help. What you need is no help. No help is the only subscription service on the market that will mail you a monthly letter stating that your mental health is in perfect order. Things just don't affect you the same as others. You're fine. And with no help on your phone, the next time someone suggests they've noticed you struggling, Whip out your phone and show them your clean bill of mental health brought to you by NoHelp. NoHelp is not therapy because their clients don't need therapy. What they need is NoHelp. 
The best part of all is how easy it is. No weekly appointments, no personal self-reflections on your past mistakes or personal failings, no working through challenging sessions revolving around the micro-trauma your parents inflicted on you when you were a child. The only thing standing between you and exemplary mental health is an easy monthly payment of $45. That's half the cost of traditional therapy and in a fraction of the time it takes to get sustained personal growth and uh, fulfillment. Pulp listeners can get their first month of no help at a staggering 20% discount by going to www.nohelp.tv and using the promo code I'm fine at checkout. That's promo code I-M-F-I-N-E at nohelp.tv. So don't sit and wonder whether you're being honest with yourself about your struggles. Get no help today and get control of your mental health. No help. You're fine. Our next story comes straight from the ghoulish mind of Gustav Grift. Yard sales are an inevitable New England tradition in the spring. Spring cleaning forces us all to take a long look at what we have cluttering our homes. But as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure. But sometimes it's not trash one picks up from the unassuming sale down the street. Rather, sometimes... In stranger days, one picks up something utterly disconcerting, made even more sinister by a child's infatuation. This story's called Dirty Deggy. The sky over the Atlantic Ocean was granite gray. That alone would have kept folks away from the beach, but it was only late April. We'd rented a cottage for two weeks right then for exactly that reason. On the way to the main coast, we stopped at a thousand yard sales. Emma looked at toys, B looked at old furniture, and I dug through boxes and boxes of books, rather than risk letting anything special slip by. That was our routine. Not long after crossing the New Hampshire main border, Emma had to pee. So we got off the interstate to find a gas station, and there was a sign directing us to yet another early season yard sale. And once Emma had done her business, we decided to check it out. It was all pretty standard, shitty DVDs, tacky kitchenware, and wicker furniture. Then Emma shouted, and I rushed over thinking something had happened. Look! (laughs) Dirty Daggy. Two years ago, a little after Emma's third birthday, we got her a book of picture puzzles. There were all kinds of scenes of repurposed household items with cutesy rhyming giving you clues about what to look for. The book we got was Haunted House themed because that's just Emma. She became obsessed with this one picture. It showed a cluttered curio cabinet with a deck of cards and a skull and a bunch of other weird junk. There was this cracked, filthy porcelain doll staring from the page with her single glass eye. Emma named the doll Dirty Deggy and it became sort of an imaginary friend to her. Every time we'd see broken toys around or a derelict building, she'd say, Dirty Deggy likes those, or Dirty Deggy lives here. I guess maybe my kid's a little weird. 
Anyway, we were at this yard sale and she called out the doll's name, so I walked over to see how big a mistake it would be to buy the thing. It had both eyes, which is good, I guess. Like the doll in the book, someone had cropped its brittle black hair down to the porcelain. I picked it up to inspect it for cracks and only found a small triangular chip where the back of the head met the neck. It was dressed in a baptism gown and lined with gray and black from age. Excuse me, how much for the porcelain doll? The old timer eyed the doll, then me, and then he looked at Emma and gave a big gap tooth grin. Well, that old thing, uh, be a dollar if you got it and uh, nothing if you don't. I paid him and we got on the road. We got lost a couple of times looking for the cottage and by the time we got there everyone was hungry and cranky. Too hungry to shop or cook. So we decided to treat ourselves to the classy seafood restaurant down by the road. If you ever want great service, go to a classy place like that in a tourist town during the off season. We were well tended to and Sherry, the 20-something server, even made small talk with Emma so B and I could actually eat. A little into the meal, Emma asked if she could go see the big fish tank in the center of the dining room because it was that sort of place. Sherry even offered to give her a guided tour of it, winking and tapping the drink menu as she spoke. B gave a thumbs up, made the signal for two, and indicated martinis on the upright list. It was a bold choice, and one that I appreciated. Emma grabbed her doll and chatted away to the server as they made their way to the tank. It was hard to tell if the martinis were extremely good, or if it was just that I was getting a quiet moment with B. When Emma came back, we paid the bill, and Emma babbled breathlessly about all the fish until we got her into the car and her eyes began to droop. The cottage was less than ten minutes from the restaurant, but Emma just couldn't keep her eyes open. I hoisted her out of the car seat, and her head flopped on my shoulder for about a second. Then she sat upright, wide-eyed with concern. We're dirty ducky. B took her in to get ready for bed, and I went back to the restaurant. The host said they'd found the doll and left me standing by the enormous aquarium while she went to get it. There were small sharks and a puffer fish, and even a few crabs and some colorful snails. Most of all, though, my eyes were drawn to a shimmering, velvety thing, like a popped balloon on a fibrous string connected to a rock. Weird, huh? Danny the cook thinks it's probably a skate egg sack that got scooped up with the bottom feeders. Anyhow, here's Dirty Deggy. I took the doll. The collar of the baptism dress was slightly damp, probably from where someone had picked it up with wet hands. I looked at the filthy old thing, and I thought if I were her, I'd wash it again. When I got home, B was reading to Emma in her bed. And though my daughter's eyes were barely open, she shouted when she saw me. I handed her the doll. Somehow it was heavier than I expected it to be. Good night, sweet pea. Night, mommy. Good night, daddy. Love you. B ran to the grocery store down the street after we got Emma to bed, so we were able to have cereal for breakfast in the morning. Morning, honey. How do you sleep? Good. Dirty Ducky didn't, though. Oh? I woke up a little to get some water, and I heard her tapping on the window. B gave me the, our kid is always saying this horror movie shit look, and I smiled back at her. 
Dirty Daggy was on the table next to her bowl of puffed rice. She looked perfectly still and restful to me. For the next couple of days, the sky cleared up and the thermometer outside hovered in the mid-70s. Quite hot for the middle of spring. On cool nights, we'd walk out onto the sand in jeans and bare feet and look at the stars until our feet got too chilly to stand it. All to the hypnotic crashing of the waves. One night, when Emma was head-droopingly tired again, she asked in her barely awake voice, Daddy, Safe to go swimming at night. No, honey. Certainly not in the ocean. You could lose your way and wind up too far out and not know how to swim back. Okay. I'll tell her then. Wait. What? Tell who? Dirty Ducky. At night, she top, tops, tops on the window. I think she wants the ocean. I brushed the creepy comment off. But laying in bed that night, I couldn't shake an uneasy feeling in my gut. It stopped me from sleeping, and I went out to the couch to read for a while. I dozed off when I heard the water run in the bathroom by the living room. I looked to see who was up, but even though the door was open, the light was off. I got up and walked to the doorway. The sink was still running. Emma! Is that you, honey? B? I couldn't see anyone in the bathroom, so I hit the light switch. Jesus, fuck! The small wash basin was filled up almost to the top, and by the taps was Dirty Deggy. She was damp from the sink water. Stupid fucking doll. Always leaving it around. No idea how fucking creepy this is. I brought the doll back to Emma's little room. She was sleeping soundly. It wasn't too unusual for her to step out in the night half asleep to use the bathroom and forget some crucial step in the process. After I put Dirty Deggy in Emma's bed, though, I touched my daughter's hand to feel that it was still warm. A neurotic parent thing, I know. And was unnerved by how dry it was. The next day was our last full one at the cottage, which made the storm that blew in off the ocean really inconvenient. We spent most of the day inside, drinking coffee, playing board games. We even hooked up the old TV to watch a VHS copy of Free Willy that we found in the closet. Later that night, the power went out. Luckily, there were quite a few candles in the cabinets. I'd just gotten a few lit between the living room and the kitchen when I stopped to admire the lightning over the waves. Just then, a tremendous shaft of light streaked across the sky, and thunder followed immediately after. On the shore, like a school of fish, leaping in a dried-out stream bed, there was a, a... a thing emerging out of the water. In the mere instant that I could see it, its color went from a blue so deep, it was almost black, to a magenta back again. When its body lightened, I saw that what I'd taken for fish were not separate animals, but writhing arms or tentacles. The worst thing, though, was toward the middle of the mass. When the lightning hit, two circles of black contracted, showing themselves to be surrounded by rings of yellow. They were eyes. Not just any eyes I knew, but 
searching, pleading eyes. I heard something tapping on the ceramic tiles of the kitchen, and making its way to the screen door was a tiny, shambling shape. In the candlelight, I could clearly see that it was that doll. Dirty Deggy. But it wasn't walking on its feet. Rather, it was lying on its back, and the head would jerk forward, pulling the rest of her closer and closer to the porch door, closer to the ocean. The noise of the storm grew, and I watched the doll's head hit harder and harder against the glass. Then there was a sound like a plate breaking, and I saw the top of Dirty Diggy's head clatter to the floor. Ten rubbery appendages slithered out of the hole. They stretched and narrowed, becoming unthinkably long as they slithered through the cracks between the door and the frame. These arms, or whatever they were, began to vibrate. They hummed like cello strings. The door rattled on its hinges. There was a grinding, screeching sound as the bottom hinge succumbed to the thing's antediluvian strength. There was another lightning strike, and I saw through the kitchen window that the encroaching mass on the rain-soaked shore was now in a frenzy. When the hinge broke, the thing on the beach changed. Behind its hellish gaze, a blue light appeared. It spread outward, and I saw the true shape of the thing in unhallowed contrast to the storm-gray surroundings. Tendrils like those coming from the doll, but a thousand times, a thousand times larger, were reaching up toward the storm in the night sky. Its central mass resembled the mantle of a squid, but curled up and over itself as the luminescence spread over and through it. Brilliant blue circles appeared all over its inky hide. They flashed in and out of sight, as if in some pattern or rhythm wholly incomprehensible to me. Then to my horror, an identical blue light began to shine from inside Dirty Diggy's fractured head like a macabre flashlight. It danced across the dislodged door and out through the crack, and when it did so, the thing on the beach went dark. Dirty Diggy did the same for a moment, then... And I swear to whatever unkind god is out there listening that this is true. The doll and the thing on the shore burst into a complex series of mirrored flashes. I choked back to scream as the thing that had used my daughter's favorite toy as a shell oozed out onto the welcome mat. It was in everything but its size an exact duplicate of the horror on the beach. It raised itself up. I don't know how, but I swear it turned to me and made a series of flashes. And when it did, I felt a sickening longing for the cold, black seafloor to bury myself deep in the muck and to reach out to... To my kind, I saw a vision of the birth tide when the sacks were released to attach themselves to the ancient cephalopod temple so very, very deep down, and all the while the ring lights in the distance calling out in their wordless chorus. 
Then there was another flash of lightning, and the things in the doorway and on the beach were gone, and I was human again. My daughter stepped into the kitchen, a look of childish fury on her childish face. Bad daddy, you broke dirty ducky. Before we wrap up the program, I'd like to thank James Reed and Dr. Steffi Deem for lending their voices to the program tonight. If you enjoyed listening to them, consider checking out Pulp's sister program, Science Night, or the latest episode of the Stone Soup podcast, which Dr. Steffi describes how she fell in love with the sport of competitive dog agility training. Both programs were brought to you in part by the River Power Podcast Network. Stay tuned for a brief teaser of the Science Night podcast. Science. What is it? Who does it? Why does it matter? The Science Night podcast answers these questions by giving scientists a place to tell their story. We also highlight science news and discoveries that will have you asking, My God, what have I done? What weird thing are we going to talk about this week that involves a frog? They made an organic robot? Like, they never, didn't they see the Matrix? Join us every other Friday, wherever you get podcasts, and at Cyanite.com. just about out of time for today, my friends, but fear not. We'll be coming back at you as soon as we can with more tales to make your skin crawl and to keep you up at night. One for the Road was written by C.A. Sullivan and performed by Dorothy Rose England and Cody Sullivan. Dirty Deggy was written by Gustav Grift and performed by James Reed, Morgan Hamilton, Dorothy Rose England, Steffi Deem, and Cody Sullivan. Pulp from Beyond the Veil is brought to you in part by the River Power Podcast Network and is produced by Cody Sullivan and Zachary Husband. We can be reached on our Facebook page or emailing us directly at pulpfrombeyond at gmail.com. So until next time, keep your eyes open for anything strange and unusual. And remember... Stay spooky, my friends. This is Cody Sullivan signing off.